1: Welcome back. It's fantasy sports today. Craig Mish and Frank Sample with you here on SportsGrid Network. we got, of course, Chris bonus from the show, and we're going to get back to our Baltimore Orioles preview in just a second, but just kind of recapping some of the top stories going on in fantasy here at the top of the hour. We'll have a Dan Strafford update, but uh, Chris Sale, at least for the time being, is not having Tommy John surgery. Why? Don't know. But if he ends up having it in May or June, this will be a bona fide disaster because then they would lose him for all of the next year, too. So not really sure what they're thinking here. But third opinion is coming for them. And then, Frank, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, we're, we're still waiting on results from him, too. But, you know, you got to really just exercise supreme caution with these guys. And for me, if you're doing a slow draft or you're involved in the fantasy baseball draft season, why go down the road? You know, even at a discount, why do it, especially in the first three or four rounds of any draft? I'm out
2: especially when it comes to these specifically uh, two players with Aaron Judge and Chris Sale. And, you know, two days ago we had the Tout Wars Mixed League draft, and both of these guys still went in the fourth round of the draft. Aaron Judge, I guess you could talk yourself into it a little bit more because it's OBP. But, Craig, Chris Sale going in the fourth round, and obviously I respect all the participants in the Tout Wars Mixed League draft, but knowing what we know right now, how on earth – are you taking Chris Sale in the fourth round of any draft right now, let alone an expert's draft? Because, you know, people use those drafts to kind of map out what they're going to do in their home leagues. And people are taking Chris Sale in the fourth round. This is egregious, Craig.
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, look, again, this is not the first time the Red Sox have done this. Remember, they did this with David Price, and it actually worked out for David Price. So maybe they're going along the same lines with Sale. Um, you know, simply don't know. Um, Another injury that we forgot to mention at the top of the show, or at least neglected to mention, is that somebody, Frank, that I know that we had gone back and forth on, Tyler Beatty of the San Francisco Giants. He could avoid surgery. It, it does look like it's a, a wasted season coming up for him. Not that anybody was targeting him, really, unless it was a deeper league or an NL-only league. But Tyler Beatty now uh, in a situation where he is going to be in all likelihood out for a longer period of time. All right, uh, let's get the latest news and information. We've got a sports grid update from around all of the league coming up in basketball, baseball, football, everything happening in the world of sports. We'll turn it over to Dan Strafford as he's got the latest for you. And then Frank and I will be back talking about the top prospects on the Orioles and also uh, the over-under on the front total for Trey Mancini. Don't go like
3: we you were talking about Craig, Chris Sale has been diagnosed with a flexor strain in his left arm, not dealing with a UCL strain or tear as of yet. Sale has been shut down from throwing for a week, but he will continue to participate in other workouts. The Red Sox did sign right-handed pitcher Colin McHugh to a one-year $600,000 contract. Aaron Judge said Thursday that he feels he still has time to be ready for opening day. Judge continues to undergo tests in Florida as the Yankees attempt to determine the nature of the discomfort around his right shoulder and pectoral muscle. James Paxton, a judge teammate with the Yankees, said Thursday that he may begin throwing at the end of this week or the start of next week. He's coming back from back surgery. Hugh Darvish was scratched from his scheduled Cactus League start on Thursday due to, apparently, that is going around spring training, so hold on to your hats and hold on to your Theraflu, Aldoberto Mondesi said he's hoping to make his Cactus League debut next week. Mondesi has been playing in inter games in Royals camp, so he's not too far behind. As Craig just mentioned, MRIs show that Tyler Beatty has both a flexor strain and UCL sprain in his right elbow. NBA Golden State Warriors guard Stephen Curry will return Thursday against the Toronto Raptors. That's after missing more than four months while recovering from a broken left hand. The two-time MVP did tweet out his excitement about rejoining Golden State after missing the team's previous 58 games. Marcus Smart has been fined $35,000 for his interaction with the refs in Tuesday's loss to the Nets and around the NBA tonight, along with the Raptors playing at the Warriors. Best game of the night, possibly best game of the past few weeks. The Clippers are at the Rockets. This one is still a pick 'em: 236 236-and-a-half over-under two other games tonight, nuggets at hornets and kings are hosting the 76ers sacramento minus 5 they're 218 and a half over under and Bede and simmons remain out for philadelphia i'm dan strapper and this has been your sports grid news update
1: all right thanks very much dan and as we take a look uh real quick one prop to go over uh, in the 2020 season we've got one on uh, Trey mancini's home run total and it's sitting at 24 and a half frank uh, back-to-back seasons of mancini with 24 home runs and then had the bust-out season last year with 35. Uh, You know, they try to get him in the lineup every day. If it's not the outfield, it's first base. He played 56 games at first base. People don't realize that. He played a lot at first base last season. Uh, I mean, look, if I had to lean one way or the the other uh, over-under, I would definitely lean the over here, because if he's healthy, I think he's going to do it.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I like the over here for Trey Mancini. He hit 35 home runs, and I mentioned earlier in the show, I, I don't think he's going to approach that number once again, but I think anywhere from 27 to 30 is a fair projection for Trey Mancini this upcoming season. He raised the launch angle last year, started hitting more line drives, started hitting more fly balls as well, and obviously that resulted in the breakout season. And you mentioned health for Trey Mancini. That's obviously a huge factor for any of these player futures that we're doing When it comes to their home run total or win total, whatever it might be, you need them to stay healthy in order to achieve that, obviously. And he's played 147 or more games in three straight seasons. So someone who is relatively healthy year in, year out is Trey Mancini. Great ballpark to hit in as well. I think you get 27 to 30 home runs out of Mancini this year. So I don't mind the over. Actually, I quite like it a little bit here, Craig.
1: Yeah, and, and again, plays in a good lineup, and provided that he's got some protection around him, it doesn't even have to be that much. His walk rate went up significantly last year, and it still didn't matter. 35 home runs. I'd probably say 28, 29 for him, and feel pretty comfortable with that. Uh, never can predict injuries, but he hasn't shown like he's the kind of guy that's going to be hurt either. So, good sign for him as well. Uh, all right, so that's the only prop to really go over as far as the Orioles are concerned. There are a couple of more available uh, on some of the win totals and things like that, but nothing really earth-shattering. So, uh, let's dive in to a couple of the rookies on the Orioles that we haven't touched on, Frank, that I think that we'll see at some point this season. I would say, at the very least, you could be looking at the Super 2 date in mid-June for two players that we'll look at, Yusniel Diaz and Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, Diaz is somebody that, of course, came over in, uh, in the big trade for Manny Machado, so there's no doubt when he comes up, he's gonna play. He hasn't shown the kind of power, I think, that we would expect it yet, but I still think that there's a chance he could grow into it. I remember he is from Cuba, so it usually takes a couple of years for some of these guys to get acclimated to the States. And, indeed, that could be the case for Diaz has been here for a few. And then Mountcastle has a ton of power. But, Frank, they are just figuring out where to play this guy defensively. I mean, I think inevitably, and you never want to say this about a younger player, but he could end up being just their DH. I'm not really sure. Uh, but he's got 30 home run power. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to play in a good lineup. you just got to find a spot for him, Frank. So. I mean, where, where do you think that is? You think that they're just simply waiting for Chris Davis's contract to run out and then stick him at first base every day? I mean, I would guess that this is Davis's last shot at becoming a, you know, even a major leaguer. There are a lot of people who thought that, that the Orioles should have just basically punted that uh, Chris Davis contract last year and brought Mount Castle up, let him play every day at first base. I'm guessing Davis probably has a month to show something. And then if not, Mount Castle takes over.
2: Yeah, I think he should play first base, but he actually started off his minor league career as a third baseman, and they've been playing him in left field all of spring thus far, and I believe they even used him at second base a little bit last year throughout the minor leagues as well. So, yeah, they've moved him all around, which is really not ideal for a young player. You know, I think... Uh, a player like that wants to know what their role is, have a solidified uh, spot on the diamond that they can, you know, really practice and, uh, you know, perfect their craft. But I think first base is probably the long-term answer for Ryan Mountcastle. But again, they've been trying him in the outfield throughout all of spring training. Uh, getting into using Diaz, I mean, he was the main piece that they got back in the Manny Machado trade from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you look at the minor league numbers from last year; they're not eye popping, but he did get better in the second half last year in Double A. wound up hitting two with an 8.43 OPS in the second half last season. That is Yusniel Diaz with seven home runs. You mentioned the pop for Ryan Mountcastle. Hit 25 home runs last year uh, in AAA for the Baltimore Orioles with a 312 batting average and an 8.71 OPS. I've heard a few people mention the the Nick Castellanos comp as one for Ryan Mountcastle where hits some line drives, puts the ball in the air, Uh, really solid offensive player, but you do have some question marks when it comes to the defense. Once again for Mountcastle, and people are excited about him from a fantasy perspective. It, it seems like you know many people are uh, drafting him, not even with their late round, not their last round picks. Craig, they're pulling him up the board a little bit, so you know maybe we see him the end of April, early May. Uh, obviously, they're playing the service time issue with him because last year it's clear he was ready to be called up, but. They didn't want to start that clock, obviously, for Mountcastle. And it makes sense with the whole rebuild that the Baltimore Orioles are going through. You know, They want as many years of controllability for Ryan Mountcastle as they could possibly get. So uh, I I think that makes sense from their perspective. But there there are a lot of people who are expecting big things out of Mountcastle this year from a fantasy perspective. And frankly, I'm one of them. It's just a matter of when does he get called up.
1: Yeah, and and look, there's a couple of other factors that are involved for sure. The first is Chris Davis and, you know, make them earn the money. That's kind of the way that teams usually go about it. And for the first time in probably three years, Frank, uh, like there's some positivity being discussed with him because of the spring that he's having. And then the other thing too is that what is the rush for calling up a player when you know you're not going to win a lot of games? And also, uh, like, you know, Renato Nunez and Alberto and some of these guys hit last year. So if they did, why not wait a little bit longer? I really don't think that, there's any pressure in particular to see the Orioles win more games or a lot more games this year. Remember, they're on that uh, Houston Astros, Chicago Cubs type plan where they feel like they're a little closer than they were maybe a year or two ago. But, I mean, look, make no mistake about it. They're going to probably lose 100 games again. And it's painful. It's It's no fun to go through it. But that's what the Orioles fans are going to have to deal with and probably see some of their younger kids, I would think, later on in the season. All right, uh, we'll take a quick time out here on Fantasy Sports Today. And coming up next, what we're gonna actually do is dive into the uh, season win total. Uh, For the Orioles, we'll give you our best case scenario, we'll give you our worst case scenario, and then we'll hear from Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias on the state of where the franchise is at, some of the younger players in the minor leagues that we need to keep an eye on, and a whole lot more right here on Sports Grid. Craig Bish and Frank Stample, this is Fantasy Sports Today. And our Orioles team preview continues in just a couple of minutes. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you Premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now the DailyRodo.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join dailyrodo.com. Sports
4: Today. Straight ball, I did it very much. Ball. That's our yes. Craig Mish and Frank gotta Take I offer cigar.
0: Roll.
1: Welcome back fantasy sports today. Craig and Frank here with you as we got you until one o'clock Eastern. And before we get back into our preview of the Baltimore Orioles and their season win total. Uh, what are you guys previewing this afternoon on the Fantasy BFF Show, Frank?
2: We are jumping into the first base position, and as far as I can tell, Greg Sussman hates that position. He also hated second base yesterday. So uh, there you go. There's the promotion for the BFFs. If you want to stick around to see Greg Sussman complain about the position that we are previewing, you can do that at 3 p.m.
1: Okay. And and does, has he thrown out any big sleepers for the year? Because those are the ones, I got to keep notes here on uh, on the Sussman sleepers. Any big ones?
2: Uh, he likes Cesar Hernandez yesterday. That was the name he brought up. Jorge Mateo okay. is a name that he likes as well. Surprise, former Yankee. Uh, Shed Long, someone that he likes. Surprise, former Yankee prospect as well. Uh, but those right. are those were the three that I think were mentioned this week. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, Shed Long, and Jorge Mateo. Got it. Okay. Got those guys written down. All right. Uh,
1: let's take a look at the FanDuel uh, win total for the Orioles in 2020, Frank. Uh, sitting at a meager 56 and a half. It's a low number. 56 and a half wins. I think it could be less than this is just insane. Uh that's you know approaching 110 losses, but Frank what we always do is we like to paint the best case and the worst case for the Baltimore Orioles. Um so let me give you the best case as to how this could go over 56 and a half. Well, the pitching has got to be better. Got to be way better than it was last year. They were all the way at the bottom in major league baseball. Uh the pen has got to be better. My gosh, like they couldn't get anybody out at all last year. And uh, I would say that there's got to be a pretty significant improvement, ERA, WHIP, uh, less walks too. Uh, secondly, uh, the Red Sox would have to take a dip in wins. Like I think their win total, if the Red Sox win 85 games, you know, it's got a lot of them are going to be against the Orioles. So the Red Sox have to be worse. The Jays cannot be much better and that's a part of this as well and by the way that's very possible remember we're only talking about getting the 57 wins here that's not a lot and then finally i think mountcastle and diaz we talked about earlier in the show both have to come up and make some sort of impact but make no mistake about it frank in order for for baltimore to win 60 games 58 games they've got to get better pitching this year it has got to happen and look the organization feels like they may But that's how you build that narrative toward a 57 win or above season for the Orioles for me. How about you?
2: And if anyone thinks this number is low, it is at 56 and a half. But let's put things in perspective here. They have won 54 and 47 games respectively in each of the past two seasons. So that's why we see this number as low as it is. the first best case scenario for me here with the Baltimore Orioles is Ryan Mountcastle comes up. You mentioned this, that you know him and using LDS could come up and rake, and I think you know if he comes up and hits 280, 20-plus home runs, competes for the American League Rookie of the Year, uh, that would obviously be a huge win for the organization, and it would help them win games as well, obviously getting some offensive production out of wherever he plays, first base, third base, outfield, DH, whatever it might be for Ryan Mountcastle. A lot of people excited about him here in the 2020 season. Next Next up, Crush Davis is back. That's right. The spring training is no fluke. He's already hit three home runs in only nine at-bats. He has an OPS over 2,000. He keeps things rolling into the regular season, and he hits 30-plus home runs in a renaissance season here. Craig, turn back the clocks. Chris Davis is back. Not Chris Davis with a K. We're back to Chris Davis with a C. Comes back to the pitching here. And I think for the Baltimore Orioles to get over this win total, they need to find two more John Means. And what does that mean? mean exactly is they get two random pitchers that kind of pop up out of nowhere because nobody, and I don't care who you are, I think even within the Orioles organization, they couldn't have imagined John Means pitching as well as he did last year to a 3.60 ERA, and basically they find two more of those guys throughout the course of the season, whether it's some of their youngsters that come up through the minors, whether it's Asher Wojohausi or Wade LeBlanc or Alex Cobb, whoever it is, two of these guys step up to join John Means and form a uh, A formidable top three in the rotation here for the Baltimore Orioles. And I think if they get all those things done, Craig, and we see the youngsters start to play well, then I think heading into 2021, you know, the Orioles and their fans could start to feel better about this rebuild turning around with a young core of Mountcastle and Diaz and Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander, all those guys are under 26 years old as of now. So you know, I think if they perform well this upcoming season, you could see them win 60 to 65 games, which, look, that's not a lot, but it would be a stark improvement over where they've been each of the past couple of seasons, Uh, and then you could feel good about them heading into 2021, Craig.
1: Yeah, and I think that those things are all realistic and, and all fair. Again, I think that this is more of a product of their division uh 36 games between the Red Sox and uh, and the Blue Jays. We know they'll struggle against the Yankees. I mean, it's it, they're up against it there. Uh, the worst case scenario: How do the how do the Orioles uh, you know, only win 50 games or 52 games or 53? Well, I mean, the first thing that would happen is that their top pitcher John Means would just go backwards from last year because there's just no reliability beyond him. And 30 starts of John Means with an ERA over five is going to just doom this total. You know, I mean, there's just like, if that happens, there's just like no shot because there's not a lot of reliability there for sure. Um, Renato Nunez, no one saw it coming. Maybe it's a fluke. If it is a fluke for Nunez, they really don't have anybody that they could put out there every single day and, and play for him to replace that kind of power. That would be a huge problem if he went from like 31 home runs to 15. And then what happens, honestly, Frank, if Gleyber Torres just hits another 25 home runs? I mean, that's, they got to stop that. <laughs> year. They cannot allow that to happen again. How many home runs did he hit against them last year? It was ridiculous. Half his home runs were against the Orioles. Saw the TV broadcast of when it happened last year, how disgusted Gary Thorne was on that. I mean, if Gleyber Torres hits 25 home runs against the Orioles, they're going to win 40 games, not 60 games. So um, that's a worst-case scenario for me. And certainly it could be a worst-case scenario, could certainly play out. And I don't think the Orioles would be that too concerned about it. I mean, number one pick in the draft, sign him up.
2: Yeah, that Glaber Torres note actually made me LOL, Craig. So I appreciate that. And uh, I do appreciate Gary Thorne's reaction to those Glaber Torres home runs. So uh, I hope he keeps it rolling a little bit here this upcoming season. I don't think he's going to hit 25. Uh, He hit 13 last year. But anything's possible with this pitching staff again. We spoke about that uh, and showed you the graphic earlier on in the show not looking so good when it comes to the Orioles pitching staff. All right, worst-case scenario for the Baltimore Orioles, Trey Mancini, obviously their star player, regresses, starts hitting ground balls again, and, and winds up batting just 250 with 20 home runs this upcoming season. We spoke about his home run prop a little bit earlier at 24.5. I don't think that this is going to happen, but this is within the range of possibilities, uh, and this would be the worst-case scenario in terms of being that offensive anchor for this team, just regressing uh, and not lifting the ball as much as he did last year. Yusniel Diaz continues to battle injuries this upcoming season and he doesn't make it to the majors at all. Throughout 2020. I think that would be a failure for the organization. Again, I understand, you know, service time, maybe it's not such a big failure, but I think they want him to get a taste of the majors and see what he can do at that level. And if he does perform well and manages to stay healthy, I think we will see use Neil Diaz this year, uh, but I think this would be one of the worst case scenarios if he continues to battle these injuries here in 2020. You mentioned John Means. Obviously, the rotation starts and ends with John Means. If he pitches closer to his peripheral numbers last year, Reminder, he had a 3.60 ERA. His XFIP was 5.48. His skill interactive ERA, Sierra, was 5.02. So those indicators tell us that he pitched a little bit uh, lucky last year. Not a little bit. A lot of bit lucky last year. I still do like him. I kind of like the arsenal, the four pitches, using the curveball more here throughout the spring. Uh, But it's not impossible again the ballpark that he pitches in in Camden Yards Uh, and I think if all of these things happen no progress is made with some of their young players Ryan Mountcastle comes up and flops and you know no pitchers take that next step and you know their pitching just continues to be the worst in the league we can see this team hover around 50 wins once again that is the worst case scenario for the Baltimore Orioles here in 2020 Craig
1: yep and and I think that you illustrated it very well um I don't like to get involved in these totals at the bottom and at the top because just so much can happen. I mean, think about it, Frank. I mean, if the Orioles just play 500 ball in April, they're probably going over this total. And that's not even saying anything. Like, that's only 15 wins. I mean, then they just basically scrape out another 40 the rest of the season, and they're almost right there. Uh, I probably wouldn't get involved in it, but I would lean toward the under. I I just don't think that the Orioles have enough to stay really competitive. It's going to require a lot in the other teams in the division to lose. They traded their best player in the offseason, Jonathan Villar. Didn't really get anything back. And that's a four-war player. I just can't see them being much better than they were last year. Um, if they win 56 games, I don't even think it's a total disaster for them. When you're in a rebuild, you're chasing the top pick in the draft. I think that Baltimore's still doing that at this point. Even with their offense, their pitching is subpar. I mean, let's be honest. Wade LeBlanc is not scaring anybody, and I don't think Alex Cobb has much left. Yeah. So, um, I would probably lean under, although I wouldn't get involved with it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I would stay away from this number. It's just so so low. And you know, if things break right early on for the Orioles or throughout the course of the season, and the offense continues to play well, and obviously you know John Means picked up where he left off, then they can easily go over this number. It's fifty six and a half. It's incredibly low. But uh, there are a lot of variables here with the Orioles, and I think it are more of a you know twenty twenty one. We really start to see the progress, which you know at that point we'll probably see Adley Rutschman in twenty twenty one, and you know we'll hear from uh, Mike Elias coming up in the next segment and he spoke a lot about two pitching prospects you know maybe we see those gentlemen in 2021 2022 so i think you know this is obviously a long rebuild here this is something i would not get involved in from a wagering perspective i lean with the under like you but it's not something that i feel very strongly about craig yeah
1: and and again you you there are, there're going to be names in every rebuild that you want to pay attention to and this is really going to help you cuz coming up next we will hear from the vice president and general manager of the Orioles, on some of those dynasty potential prospects that you'll want to own in fantasy. They actually have some pretty viable uh, starting pitching and even relief pitching in the minor leagues. So stay tuned to that. We'll have that next. And then we'll come back and also wrap up the show with players that you can grab in the reserve round of your fantasy baseball drafts and players that you may be uh, surprised to hear from. Also, don't forget tomorrow here on the show, we'll have a preview of the Tampa Bay Rays. All that and more coming up next right here on SportsGrid on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away.
0: DailyRoto.com Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank Stanford.
1: Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Frank here with you until one o'clock. Eastern, we continue our Baltimore Orioles season preview tomorrow? We'll preview the Tampa Bay Rays, and then uh, next week we'll close out the American League East. Well, I think we'll probably move around a little bit. I don't know that we need to necessarily keep it with the divisions. Kind of the way that we started here, and uh, and you know as the season goes on and the spring season goes on, with the people that we end up talking to, we'll bring those interviews to you, and perhaps we'll preview uh, those teams that day. So no real set schedule. We'll just kind of fly around the league and try to update you on every team as possible when we uh, continue to move on. Uh, one of the great things about the ability to speak to different players and coaches, and in this case executives, is to get a longer term view as to where an organization may be. I had a chance to catch up with the executive vice president and general manager of the Baltimore Orioles, Mike Elias, and talked about just where the rebuild is at right now and kind of where he sees the club this year. Like, the direction that the organization is going is clearly top-notch at this point. You guys had a phenomenal draft. You're adding a lot of talent to the organization. From our perspective, we are kind of wondering who those players are that you as the general manager are identifying as the next wave of the next young players that you have in the Orioles. So
4: along those lines, if you could start off with that. Well, I I think we're uh, doing a few things at once. Uh, On the, the front end, here at the Major League level, we've got a lot of young players that we've brought in from other organizations, um, whether it's waiver claims or guys who were already here or trades. And we're giving guys an opportunity to establish themselves as major league players and seeing who on this roster, you know, can be a piece of the next playoff team. And we've certainly identified a few last year and we expect a couple more will, will emerge this year as well. But while we're doing that, we're rebuilding the whole organization. We've gotten our international scouting efforts up off the ground. We've improved our player development and our analytics. And we're bringing in young talent through the draft and international and, you know, maybe some trades that'll happen uh, sure. at the trade deadline. So, um, you know, that's it's kind of a classic, uh, you know, rebuilding formula on a number of fronts. But I think for us, we had so much to do in terms of organization building that it added a, a, a new uh, layer to things. It, it's interesting because like on the side of, of the, that I cover the Marlins, it's
1: like they've been kind of hesitant to say that word like rebuilding it. Miami's a different market, Mike. I mean, it's like they've been through this several times The Orioles really have not. I mean, it's always just kind of been you know, patching it together, band-aid, patching it together, patching it together. And this is, like, the first time that I think that Orioles fans in general are just, like, asked to be patient, I suppose. Um, where, where is that process at with fans, and just kind of rebuilding confidence that things are going in right direction?
4: Yeah, uh, to my knowledge, uh, this is the first time that the organization has kind of come out and announced the fact that, uh, you know, we're taking a strategy like this for the, for the near term. Um, I think that the fan base was hungry for this um, uh, for a couple of years, starting in like 2017 when they could see that that core that had brought the team to the playoffs was you know, going to be breaking apart at some point. And the foundation of talent uh, in terms of a pipeline from international and just having a, a cohesive player development organization uh, was not apparent. Um, so there was not much resistance to this uh, tact given where the team ended in 2018. Um, and knowing that this is really the only viable path back, but we're gonna to try to do it as fast as we can There's a lot of talent. that's already here I feel like we've inherited quite a bit of, of talent in the minors and majors. So uh, it makes me feel like uh, things are on schedule Speaking of, of inherited one of those
1: players that I'm getting a lot of questions on is uh, Yusnil Diaz Who I've only seen a little bit of because you know, clearly I'm not watching him. I've not TV every single day he is as a general manager, uh, do you deal in ETAs or when expectations will be? Has he done something in camp that's pushing him toward making opening day? Or is this a player that we'll see in the summer? Can we do it? I,
4: I really hope he gets up this year. He was slowed last year um, by some some lower uh, half injuries, some, some quad stuff, hamstring stuff. And, uh, you know, he he, uh, he really had a good year for us. Um, Bowie and the Eastern League in general, are, it's a pitcher's environment. And uh, he did really well at that level. We love what we see. He's looked good in two uh, spring trainings in a row. And I know Brandon Hyde and I really like what we see from him. And We view him as a possible solution in the outfield for us. So I, I think there's a chance he gets up there this year. He needs to play in AAA a little bit, most likely. He hasn't played there yet, but um, you know we'll see. Okay, and on the pitching side, in terms of the minors or what you're looking for draft-wise,
1: uh, at least from my perspective, look, historically speaking, uh, Mike Messina, Scott Erickson, Jim Palmer, I mean, there's been fantastic pitchers that have come through the organization, but I feel like that's the spot that's been hardest to identify um, why, what the failures have been through the organization drafting guys. Uh, you know, Bundy didn't work out, Mattis didn't work out, Arietta was moved on. What are you, what, how are you going to fix that? How, how are you going to develop pitching? What is it?
4: The... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I don't know um, how valid the uh, you know that uh, reputation is. I haven't studied it. Um, I know that our uh, big league division, or big league park, can be can be tough to pitch in sometimes. I think maybe that that feeds into some of it. But yeah, pitching development hasn't been a particular strength of the organization. Um, I think that last year, um, when I and Sigma Dell when Chris Holt uh, came from the Astros, we were able to very rapidly install kind of a technology-based pitching program that so many teams are doing around the league. And uh, the results at the minor league level were pretty clear. We had the strikeout rates take a big jump. Uh, the ERAs went down. And it was the same pitchers. They were just, you know, dupe- approaching the game a little bit differently. Um, I love the pitching that we have in the minor leagues. I think that um, the organization, prior to me getting here, made some really good draft picks in the early rounds. You know, D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez are doing their thing. Uh, a lot of guys were taken in the second, third round. Uh, Dean Kramer, who came in the Machado trade. So there's a, a lot to like. So I think we're kind of uh, changing, flipping the script on the, um, you know, the narrative that the, the organization struggles to uh, develop pitchers, but. Um, we know we're going to need them internally because um, we're going to need a lot. It's America League East. It's never been an easy place to attract pitchers yeah. through a free agency. So it's a key part of our strategy. And then uh, the last one is, man, the reviews on that. Regiment. Even in big league camp, we've been
1: off the charts. I mean, I guess it's just as simple as making the first pick, but you got to get it right, too. And it looks like you guys really just crushed it with that. that kid, it's phenomenal.
4: Well, he's a great kid. I mean, look, it's never easy um, when you're picking high in the draft. You, 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 you don't know what's going to happen. We still don't know what's going to happen with that class. There were a lot of good choices. Um, and everybody's got got pluses and minuses. But uh, one thing that we knew with him is we were getting um, the, the work ethic and the character and 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 that and that's certainly showing up here. So um he's been having a good experience in big league camp. He's gonna start the year somewhere in the low minors, um, and we'll just see where it goes. He's gonna have to go out and perform and, and work hard like anybody else.
1: All right, so uh the executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias, who's uh, very uh, been kind to the work and the shows that I've done through the years. So I appreciate him coming on and kind of uh, breaking things down for us. I think it's very clear, uh, Frank, that it'll be exciting to watch the Orioles on their minor league systems. Like they have some talent. And I think that you alluded to it. 2021 could be a year that we see some of those uh, very talented players. And in terms of uh, Adley Rutschman, you know, certainly, I mean, you talk about the first pick overall generational type player, it's funny, Chance Sisko was one of their top prospects at catcher. He's got to be looking over his shoulder at this point, wondering how much longer he has to start. But uh, that's what this is all about right now. It's about the future. and And I think that he specifically pointed out two names on the pitching end, Frank, that we're going to dive into now.
2: Yeah, D.L. Hall and uh, Grayson Rodriguez, these are more of 2021-2022 guys here from a fantasy perspective. But if you own either one of these in Dynasty, I mean, you have to be excited. Grayson Rodriguez, two six eight ERA, 0.99 whip last year. That was only in single-A ball, uh, but the strikeouts are there. He has much better command than D.L. Hall. Hall, the strikeouts are there for him as well. 12.9 Ks per nine last year at high-A ball but six walks per nine. So something we'll pay attention to here is how these guys progress in terms of their command, but it's clear both of them have elite upside in terms of strikeout potential. Uh, It's just going to be a while before we see these guys. You know, 2021, maybe 2022... And it goes back to what we said earlier with guys like Ryan Mountcastle and Yusniel Diaz. There's not really any rush for the Baltimore Orioles right now. And I really appreciated that aspect of it from Mike Elias was that, you know, they kind of are embracing it. They understand where they're at right now in terms of their timeline and that they have a few years to kind of turn this team around. And, you know, no one's clamoring for this team to be good right away, that they can really take their time here, develop their pitching prospects, develop Adley Rutschman, Ryan Mountcastle, Neil Diaz. There's a lot of talent in this farm system, Craig. And you're not going to hit on all your prospects. We understand how this works uh, in a real life baseball perspective, obviously. But if you hit on half of them, maybe a little bit more than that, then there's your young core, right, for the future to build around with the Baltimore Orioles. So uh, I think that there is hope. It's just it's going to take a, some time here. The Orioles and their fans have to remain patient. This is, you know, a five year, six year rebuild here for the Baltimore Orioles, Craig. Yeah. All right, so while we try to get while we try to get Craig McNish back here, just talking again about the Baltimore Orioles and their prospects, this is not going to be a quick rebuild for this team. You see the graphic up there with Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall, what they were able to do last year. The strikeouts, there's no doubt about it. Uh, Adley Rutschman was the first pick in the MLB draft this past season with the Baltimore Orioles as well, raving about what this kid can do behind the plate. We've seen a little bit out of him in camp so far, uh, and he's an offensive piece. Now, I was a little skeptical at the time. Look, I don't know anything about players in the MLB draft. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you that I know anything about Adley Rutschman, outside of what I've read so far, because I'm not out there scouting these players. But I thought it was a little bit curious that they wound to take, uh, they wound up taking a catcher with the first overall pick here, Craig. And I was just talking about Adley Rutschman, you know, while you know he could bring a, a ton to the table offensively and defensively here, Craig. Uh, do you think it's curious to ever take a catcher with the first overall pick in the MLB draft?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean. Look, there are very few catchers that can be a generational type, and um, you know you look at JT Realmuto, and certainly with the contract that I believe that he'll get either from the Phillies or somebody else, uh, it's offense, it's defense, and and Rushman was the best player in all of of college baseball, and so you know the athletic catcher, it's so hard to find Frank because the last thing that you want to do, I think, as a franchise, is end up with a player. And again, uh, Hall of Fame type players, Joe Maurer, Buster Posey. But toward the end of their careers, if you give them that $200 million contract, you don't want them clogging up first base in a non-hitting type situation. And I think Rutschman, with the kind of power that he has, transcends beyond that. And I think that's why you start off with that and you kind of see where you go. But he certainly is gonna be a great player in the big leagues, I think as soon as 2021. All right, uh, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back and wrap things up with some later round options. Fantasy, don't go away.
0: DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you Premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRodo.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Frank stanville
1: Fantasy sports today, Craig and Frank with you here until one. Make sure you catch Frank at the BFF show today at three o'clock Eastern. He and Greg Sussman will be battling it out for sleeper supremacy. I think you've already given me some of the menu. So, like, is there anything else? Did I miss anything? Any pop culture stuff with the uh,
2: well, with Greg Sussman, you never know what you're going to get. So on the BFs later today, you can catch us at 3 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Grid. And, look, Greg can surprise us with pop culture, wrestling. Food. You never never know what Greg Sussman's going to bring to the table, so uh, tune in for that, and we'll be doing a first-base preview a little bit later on from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. What we wanted to do in this final segment here on the show was I wanted to look at some reserve round starting pitchers with upside. Don't, 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 don't you... Forget about these starting pitchers, because over the weekend, obviously Craig Mish was taking part in the League of Alternative Baseball Reality uh, Mixed League auction, and he had his reserve rounds, which is... Obviously, once the auction is completed, no one has any money left or has filled out all their roster spots. You go to a reserve round, and, you know, sometimes it's three rounds, sometimes it's five rounds, and, you know, usually the way that I c- construct my bench is I like to have a lot of upside starting pitchers, and, you know, Craig texts me, uh, give me a few sleepers that you got that I can, you know, draft in my reserve rounds, and that's exactly what I wound up doing was I hit him up with a few of these reserve rounds starting pitchers. I mentioned it, you know, earlier in the show, Uh, I was, right before we got started here, I'm taking part in three slow drafts, and I got sniped in the 26th round. What is wrong with me? I was physically upset that I was sniped in the 26th round because I didn't wind up with Corbin Burns. Frank, how can you want Corbin Burns? He had an ERA over 8 last year. Well, he was also one of the most unlucky starting pitchers of all time because if you dig a little bit deeper, his 3.37 XFIP was 5 runs lower than his 8.82 ERA. His Sierra, to interactive ERA, 3.55. He was incredibly unlucky last year. He allowed a ton of hard contact, obviously. He's got to get better in terms of his fastball command, but the slider is absolutely ridiculous. Are we forgetting that just last spring, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns were duking it out for a spot in the rotation? That's how good Corbin Burns is. He's a former top prospect with this team, and he's performing very well in the spring thus far as well. Six innings pitched, three hits, two walks, seven strikeouts as well. That is Corbin Burns. And we know that the Milwaukee Brewers need help in that rotation. They don't have great starting pitchers. They're going to take a shot with Josh Lindblom, who they brought back from Korea. And they obviously have Brandon Woodruff there at the top, and Adrian Hauser is a name that I like as a sleeper as well. Got some strikeouts last year uh, and you know wound up getting a ton of ground balls as well. That is Adrian Hauser with the Brewers. But I think Corbin Burns competing for a spot in the rotation. should manage to lock that up. Again, the strikeout stuff with this guy is ridiculous. 17% swinging strike rate last year for Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he's the type of starting pitcher you want with upside on your bench another starting pitcher who has a ton of upside. Maybe you don't get him in your reserve rounds. Maybe he rounds out your rotation, the fifth starting pitcher, the sixth starting pitcher in your rotation in a deeper league. Dylan Cease, who looked absolutely filthy yesterday as well uh, with the Chicago White Sox going up against this Brewers lineup. He did allow a solo home run to Keston Hira, but outside of that, the breaking pitches looked phenomenal. The slider was working. The biggest key for him, four innings pitch yesterday, one earned run, five strikeouts, zero walks. That is the biggest key when it comes to Dylan Cease. There's no doubt that the strikeout upside is there. 450 strikeouts in 354 in a third innings pitch in his minor league career. But last year, when he got called up to the majors, his walks per nine were up over four. He has struggled with command in the minors at the major league level. I think having a veteran catcher like Yasmani Grandal is something that can obviously help. Dylan Cease in terms of framing pitches and stealing strikes and obviously just going through the game plan, having a veteran catcher like that. you know, uh, Not that James McCann you know, wasn't a solid catcher for the team, but Yasmani yeah, Grandal, this is something that he excels in, in terms of calling games and framing pitches as well. So Dylan Cease, I think another name that has a ton of upside that you can get later on in your drafts as a reserve starting pitcher whatever it might be. Someone who has a ton of upside. A post hype sleeper, if you will. Don't forget about Dylan Cease. Another name Alex Wood, I've already drafted him in my Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and we spoke about Clayton Kershaw at the top of the show. He's someone who went to driveline baseball this offseason. We see a lot of starting pitchers doing that recently, and it has helped them improve their breaking pitches. It has helped them improve their velocity in terms of their fastball as well. So Alex Wood and Clayton Kershaw both attended driveline baseball in the offseason, and there were reports earlier in spring that Alex Wood is averaging 92 to 93 miles per hour on his fastball. Do I need to remind you that just a couple of years ago, in 2017, he averaged 91.8 miles per hour on his fastball. He pitched it to a 2.72 ERA. I understand. He's been incredibly injury-prone in his career. And the Dodgers have a lot of depth there. So they can choose to, you know, skip Alex Wood at times in the rotation and maybe a few phantom IL stints, maybe a few real IL stints when it comes to Alex Wood this upcoming season. But when he's on the mound... Remind yourselves, the player that he can be, if we do see that improved velocity, 91, 92, 93 miles per hour, if Alex Wood can get back to that point, then I think he's someone you know, going later on in drafts who can provide you with strikeouts. We know he's going to give you run support. Maybe he doesn't go deep into games, five, six innings max, but someone that can give you a good ERA and whip. Uh, I want to welcome in Craig Mish once again back to the show here. Craig, so far I have discussed three starting pitchers who I think have upside in the reserve rounds and that includes Dylan Cease, Corbin Burns, and Alex Wood. Any interest in either of those starting pitchers this season, Craig?
1: Yeah, I, I think that all three uh, provide different kinds of value, just depending on where they are. I mean, Cease is the one that you know clearly has the most upside. But you know, I got to tell you, Frank, in, in the history of doing this, and and I've been playing you know, fantasy for a long time. The one thing that I usually don't do is draft rookie pitchers. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, over the past like 20 years, it feels like it's been almost impossible to find a viable rookie at the position that has been worth their draft value. And I mean, look, Paddock is there and certainly he delivered some value. Luis Castillo on the Reds a couple of years ago. Of course, the best of all in the last decade probably was Jose Fernandez. But in general, it's usually that second year after i see some the pitchers struggle a little bit that i'll go back in on the pitcher so cease even though he has a high upside also i think has a very low floor depending on what would happen with the white Sox. remember they're built to win i think in 2020, i think they're going to try and at least take that next step uh so, so for me wood is the one guy that you said it if he's healthy you could definitely see a good season coming he had that magical year a couple of years ago then slid back a little bit. He's in a good environment. You would think there's a chance for some wins there. So Wood in particular would be the one that at least has done it in the past, health permitting. So if I had to rank him one, two, three, it'd probably be in reverse order of the way that you gave him. Uh, It would be Wood first and then Burns, and then I would go with Dylan Cease after that.
2: Yeah, and look, as much as I like Corbin Burns, I would probably put him last on the list too because, you know, you can get him later. His ADP is the latest of all of these pitchers and Dylan Cease again uh, I agree with you I think there is a very big upside there is a low downside if he struggles with command and obviously can't go deeper into games then uh, I did draft Alex Wood in the great fantasy baseball as my SP6 rounding out my, my rotation uh, I was targeting Corbin Burns again I got sniped I wound up taking your boy Matt Shoemaker instead so let's see how healthy Shoemaker can stay uh, this upcoming season Craig I have a few more names that I'm just going to throw out to you as reserve rounds you know one Once you finish out your auction or in a 15-team league, you're just looking for some upside on your bench. I think a few of these names can provide that. How about this name? We haven't heard about him in a while, but he has returned to the Seattle Mariners. Taiwan Walker, who reports say was hitting 94 miles per hour on the gun yesterday. This guy is free. Craig, you're shaking your head already. Uh, Craig doesn't like the injury-prone pitchers, I can tell. I'll take the shot on all the injury-prone pitchers. Taiwan Walker, 94 miles per hour. Uh, Craig... What, why why you out on Taiwan Walker, man? Come on, I'm give him out, a shot. Man. It's a great story. He's back with the Mariners.
1: And he wasn't even really that great when he was healthy, Frank. Come on, man. Why are you gonna go down this road? What's the
2: point? <laughs> was he that good when he was healthy? Really? He started to show some signs, no? Back in 2017 oh, he had a 349 ERA. One that good year
1: out of last five. Three and a half please.
2: ERA? That's not bad. One year,
1: ah. a right, lot Craig. of promise undelivered, I tried. and coming <laughs> off an injury, and playing in a bad spot. Look, Seattle, come on, man, that's just, you know, frankly, you know what that is. All right, that's Craig's bad. out on that Taiwan Walker. This is bad. You can find other options. <laughs> Craig's there, out on.
2: Sure. Ta- yeah, All right, I- I'm trending it. down today on the show. I guess no, he's out on Taiwan Walker. Fine. I'll you're throw you're a trending, few more names. Fine. Real quick, we gotta <laughs> get to exit velocity. I will give you three Let's more wrap. names here. Oh, uh, there you go, Craig. Yeah, there you go. Three, uh, Sean Newcomb, Yusei Kikuchi, Alex Reyes, any interest?
1: I mean, I love Alex Reyes. If he would ever pitch and be healthy, I had a chance to see him the other day. I root for him a lot. Maybe in an NL. Uh, Kikuchi, maybe in an AL. Who was the other one?
2: Sean Newcomb. He has a rotation spot. It's locked up.
1: Ooh. Okay. We're done.
2: All right, let's turn it over <laughs> and end the show with a little exit velocity.
0: Velocity. Nice velocity all
1: right one of the top baseball reporters uh in the country last night uh i have a lot of respect for certainly jeff passan reported that uh, one of the ideas to stop the coronavirus and spring training parks were to take pre-signed baseballs by the players and throw them into the stands Let me tell you a little story. That would be a horrible idea. Years ago when Sammy Sosa signed with the Orioles, he did exactly the same thing, and I was covering the Orioles at the time, and they played in Fort Lauderdale. I have never seen more fights, more blood, more police being called over a player throwing balls of his sign. This is this is not a foul ball you're talking about. You really want fans in the stands fighting over Mike Trout signed baseballs when Trout throws it in the stands. It would be an absolute nightmare. Do not do this. Do not come close to doing this. You're gonna have kids fighting against adults. Remember, that's not a $12 ball. That's like a $100 ball. If you wanna throw $100 bills into the stands, you'd probably be better off. Don't do it. Give the players pens. Let them sign at spring training. This is going way too far. It's got to stop. Thanks again to Chris Pavona. Of course, my co-host Frank Stamphill. I'm Craig Mish. We're back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern with a preview of the Tampa Bay Rays right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Stay on the grid the rest of
0: the day. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. See you. DailyRoto.com.